Hi, and welcome to The Rock's podcast. We are currently going verse by verse through the Gospel of Mark on Sunday mornings. We pray that these sermons encourage your faith. Now let's join Pastor Ross as we continue studying the life and teachings of our Lord Jesus Christ. Good morning, I am back, and that means we're ready to go. Bibles open, hearts open as well. We'll pause and ask the Lord to help us this morning. Heavenly Father, what a delightful passage awaits for our reflection. And we know, Lord, that it's no ordinary literature, that this is the God-breathed word. That's what the scriptures say of itself, that no scripture ever had its origin in any man, but the Holy Spirit moved in the hearts of holy men of old. And they wrote as the Spirit gave them utterance. So, Father, we're ready to hear. You have something to say to each heart here. You gathered us here. We believe that you have ordered our footsteps. You're in charge of our lives, the Bible says. Our footsteps have been ordered of the Lord. Therefore, we have a destiny in this moment to hear what you're trying to get through to us. to bless us. So help us apply what we're hearing to the very situation we find ourselves in today. In Christ's name. And all God's people said a hearty. Amen. That's what I needed to hear. Just about everyone knows that feeling of getting burned out. It's not a good feeling. It's burning the candle at both ends of the stick, as we say. You know, nose to the grindstone, just going at the same thing day after day after day. Without a break, it will leave you depleted and walking around like a zombie. How many of you have ever walked around like a zombie? How many of you are walking around like a zombie right now? (laughs) Burnout can happen in lots of different areas of life uh, when we get no sufficient downtime. Regular jobs, parenting little ones, even the ministry. Yeah, life is demanding. The Bible even commends hard work. And there's seasons of busyness that we just have to just kind of work hard. Uh, but we all need to know when enough is enough, when we need to break away and recharge the batteries as it were. I mean, it's a command even. We weren't designed to just work, 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 work. God put in the top 10 commandments, you shall take a break. And God must have wrote that out because that's important to who we are, the quality of our lives. And so interestingly, here in Mark 6, where we pick up, even Jesus, the Son of God, knows when vacation is in order. And it's Jesus' attempt to take the boys, the disciples, as I like to call them, uh, the guys on a little summer break. 
This attempt to get away for a little R&R will lead into one of the most amazing, delightful, insightful, inspiring, practical truth at every turn, one of the most well-known miracles in the Bible. Why it's one of the most well-known miracles is it appears in all four Gospels. Not many miracles make it in all four And it's for a reason, because it's a very important uh, story. So first, I'll give you the context, and then I'll read you the story. Now, you may recall earlier in this very chapter, the Lord has said it's time. He's trained his disciples up. That's what a disciple means. It means learner. So they have learned something through listening and applying the truth of God's word, and it's time for them to replicate and extend Jesus' ministry. So he sends them out by twos and in pairs, two by two, to go out and to do his work. And what an awesome privilege to do the work of the Lord, to be co-workers with him. Now, uh, they're preaching the gospel. They're seeing God do amazing things. And listen, the scholars who do this for a living, they can do the math. And it was a nine-month missions trip. So they've been on the road for nine months, and now they're returning back to Capernaum, which is command central there, the northern shore of the Sea of Galilee. So they're coming back, and they need a break. Why? Well, because it was demanding and exhausting to be out there. Can you even imagine what they've been through? And they're just only now returning Not only do they need a break because the physical work was exhausting, uh, but because the miraculous signs, the impact of the gospel, that lives, broken lives were made whole. Uh, Those who were under demon possession were set free. The uh, the, The lame were healed. The blind were seeing. Uh, all kinds of wonderful miracles. This has stirred up crowds, people. And those crowds want more. And so the crowds are pressing in so tightly that it's created a, a nonstop work environment for Jesus and his team. And so between the exhaustion of a missions trip and the fact that the missions trip resulted in stirring up more and more crowds, the Greek says crowds of crowds followed them. So here they come, and and without, uh, spoiler alert of sorts, (laughs) um, without giving it away, um, he says, get in the boat. We're taking off. Well, get this, the crowds figure it out. They, they look at the direction the boat is sailing, and they beat Jesus and the team to the destination. And they're waiting for them with all of their needs uh, when they arrive for their three-day getaway. So you can tell it's going to be a delightful story. But, you know, instead of getting resentful, they get busy uh, serving because Jesus was going to make sure that those guys get the rest that they need. And so postponing that for one day isn't going to make that big of a difference, especially when you see what happens next. Uh, that leads them into the most amazing miracle that is encoded with such great teaching about who Christ is and what he came to do. It's just not a story about multiplying bread and fish. Whoops, 
I gave it away. And, and so, oh, yeah, it's not just what you think it is on the surface read. It's that plus a whole lot more. So pretty amazing stuff. Definitely worth postponing uh, one day of vacation. Are you ready? Okay, I thought we were having a conversation here, so I'll try it again. Are, we, are you ready? Yes. Yeah, that makes the guy happy. All right. So the disciples pull up. They're back in town following a most productive missions trip, and the apostles gather around Jesus and report to him all they had done and taught. Then because so many people were coming and going that they didn't even have a chance to eat, he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw the large crowd, he said, oh, man, not you guys again. More work. Are you kidding me? Can't a guy get a break? Oh, no, 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 no. He's different from us. Okay, he said, um, let me see. But many saw the When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like a sheep, sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. By this time, it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already getting very late. Send the people away so they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. It goes on. But he answered, you give them something to eat, bossing me around like that. You get busy. All right. They said to him, that would take like eight months of a guy's wages, Lord. Are we really going to spend that much money on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have? He asked. Go and see. When they found out, they said, five and two fish. (laughs) Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, God the Son gives thanks to God the Father and breaks the loaves of bread. Then he said, then he gave rather them to his disciples to set before the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. So it was bread and fish. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish, leftovers for a long time, I would think. Verse 44, the number of men alone who had eaten were 5,000. So scholars who spend full time doing this, say that means around 12,000 people were fed and ate all they wanted from five little buns and two little sardines. This is a great story, and it's filled with all kinds of stuff, as I've been saying. But I know that, and thank you for the slide, I know that my listeners 
read the Bible asking themselves questions. What does this have to do with me and my need? What does this say about who Jesus is to me? Do I think of Jesus in these terms? You don't just read to get through the chapter in the morning, right? I know that. You read asking yourself in a prayer, God, I'm in this situation today. I'm looking to your word to talk to me. Fix this thing. Direct me. Comfort me in this thing. I'm not just having devotions for devotion's sake. I'm talking to the living God, and his living voice is speaking to me through his eternal word. So I hope that you're not just reading some Sunday school story about five pieces of bread and two fish, and bam, he's got a message for you. He's on pins and needles. Are they going to get it? Are they going to stay focused enough, long enough to hear what my spirit is saying? Well, three quick things just unfold quite naturally here. Note takers, are you ready? It's not profound. One, two, and three. One, big need. Two, big test. Three, big miracle. Okay, I told you it was going to be easy and not very profound. In fact, I'm going to make you say this. I hardly ever make you repeat anything, right? Well, this time, number one, big need. Number two, big test. Number three, big miracle. Look at that. Somebody could ask you at lunch, what did the pastor talk about? What are you going to say? Big need, big test, big miracle. And because I didn't see someone's mouth moving, I'm going to make you do it again. Just kidding. <laughs> Just kidding. No, I'm not going to do that. But, and you know, let me just tell you already, I want to preach a sermon right now on that is the pattern that goes over and over again in my life and in your life, always. There's a big need, a need that Ross can't meet with Ross's resources, always. Whether that's spiritual or emotional or relationally or vocationally or whatever. And then comes the big test. How am I going to handle it? Am I going to muscle through it? Am I going to ignore it? Am I going to dodge and weave? Or am I going to consecrate the whole thing and give it over to God? Right? The big test. And then when you handle it right, and even sometimes in God's mercy when you don't, as we'll see today, there's a big miracle because his grace is enough. He comes through every time. He's proved it to you. He's proved it to me. So big need, big test, big miracle. Let's dive in with big need and hear the focused portion of the scriptures for our first point. There are two uh, groups in need, so it should be big needs, actually, The first, the disciples need a break. They need a little respite, a time, as I've been saying, to recharge their batteries. And and so here you see them in verse 30. They're gathering around Jesus, and they want to tell Jesus (laughs) the amazing thing. It's one thing for you to hear Jesus say those amazing things that people said. Nobody's ever talked like that. It's one thing to hear him talk like that and preach the gospel. It's... It's one thing to see Jesus lay his hands on a little girl and say, Talitha Kumi, and have that girl sit up, even though she had just been, she just, I was going to say that she just been died, (laughs) 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 even though she had been dead. Oh, that's one thing. But a whole nother thing, when his words are coming out of your mouth, impacting souls, healing broken lives, 
setting the captives free through your touch, through your word, because he, by his spirit, is doing that through you. So, of course, they're around Jesus. They say, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. <laughs> oh, you're not going to believe this. And so I just imagine James. I pick James. James saying, hey, oh, we were in a group, and all the guys are around. We were in a group, and some demon maniac, demonized maniac, comes up to try to distress and uh, distract everybody. And he comes at me, and I'm like, I don't know what to do. I'm like, in the name of Jesus. And he's like, and, and, and just stops. And the change over him and all of this, and everybody gasps. And, and, and you know, the disciples are immature in their faith, and they want to one-up each other. Sorry, I just assumed this, because at the end of three and a half years, on the way into the upper room, they're arguing. What are they arguing? Who's the greatest? And one of them saying, I'm the greatest. The other one saying, not even so. I'm the greatest. And so I already know there's a little bit of that. And so one of them is saying, Andrew says, hey, oh, man, there's this little baby having a seizure. I was like, oh, God. You know, and I put my hand on her, and I said, in the name of Jesus. And the baby stopped seizing and started cooing and smiling. And they're all like, oh, wow. And Jesus was like, no, Jesus, really. I mean, seizing, like seizing. And then I just put my hand on her, and she just stopped and looked at me as if she's smiling. Jesus, really. And Jesus is like, yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. I, I've seen it before. <laughs> Thomas, we saw this leper oozing oozing, festering faces, nose had collapsed. He's telling the story, that's what they're doing. His nose was caved in, and that's what happened. They had a name for that. You know, the cartilage just rots out and goes away. And, and, and we were just like, oh, what is he even doing here? And I'm getting goosebumps that he's walking up to me. And, and I just said, ah, in the name of Jesus, I put my hand, and it touched him. And... Jesus, just like you did with the lepers, the man became clean and cleansed. And everybody wanted to touch his skin because it was like baby skin. So this is going on. They're excited. It's missionary report time. You get inspired to see, wow, this is really real. This is no figment of my imagination. This is no religious uh, turn of... Uh, events. This is not something I'm trying to get into now. This is a real act of the true and living God. Listen, is there anything better than when God uses you? He calls you co-laborers. He, he expects that you have a word that's going to change somebody's eternal destiny. Have you ever seen that happen with your tongue, your word, your, through your personality, the word of God reached in and grabbed somebody and changed their eternal destiny from hell, which is eternal, to heaven and eternal life, which is everlasting joy. Have you ever been used to strengthen a marriage or encourage somebody who was grieving 
And because you, you ministered and God used you to do, this is the joy of life, people. And so they're pressing in, they're telling their stories, and, and they're very happy. And then Nathan or Nathaniel says, hey, listen, I got a story. Jesus interrupts him and says, save it for the campfire. We're getting s'mores, and we're getting on that boat, and I want to hear all of these stories because here comes the crowds, and the crowds are pressing in. Your text says, so much so that they didn't have time to eat. These guys just were gone nine months. They just pull into town. They're telling the stories, tripping over each other, trying to get it all out, and they're starving. Jesus says, oh, I got this great idea. Get in the boat. And so the crowds are coming. (laughs) The crowds are coming, why? And you can't blame them, because the Pharisees, the religious leaders at the time, had turned relationship and then God into a nightmare. (laughs) Oh, man. Jesus calls them out in Matthew 23 for what they had done. Uh, they had made coming to God so burdensome. He said to them in Matthew 23, you religious leaders, talking like to the pastors of the day, have taken um, weights and put them on people's shoulders. And you guys are so lazy, you wouldn't lift a pinky to help them. All you do is add burdens to people's lives. And now comes Jesus, son of God comes out and he starts preaching about, come to me all who are heavy burdened and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So people were like, yeah, we choose him, you know? And so they're running after him. Just picture, you know, being in the Mojave Desert without enough water, the sun beating down on you, you are parched, spiritually speaking, in this regard. And then the fountains of everlasting life, of joy and peace with God and eternal life, and all for what? Grace, 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 forgiveness. Well, they were chasing down Jesus like a man dying of thirst in the desert when he's found an oasis of cold, sweet, life-giving water. And so, yeah, the crowds are pressing in because they want to drink of that water. And so they start chasing. And so here's what happened. I've got a picture for it because I'm a visual kind of guy. They're in Capernaum, right? And so Jesus says, get in the boat, guys. Let's make a quick getaway. All right? The getaway is going to go over to Bethsaida. All right? Now, Bethsaida is a buffer zone between Jewish Galilee and Gentile Galilee. All right? So there's really nobody living in here, and it's very rocky. It's a desert. It's a desolate place. But you can tell from the shore where a boat is heading, especially if he's cutting over near the shore. So it's six miles, all right? So it would be like going from downtown Sebastopol and saying, hey, let's get into some open space. You could do that in six miles and go to Freestone. That's exactly the miles, right up over the hill. And the Bible says that's what they did. They got a clue. Hey, they're trying to get away to Bethsaida, right? So, yeah, let's go. So everybody spread the word that the miracle-working Messiah, question mark, is going for a three-day retreat <laughs> to Freestone. No, to, to Bethsaida. And, and off they go. And so 
And this is what's happening. And so the winds are contrary and not cooperating, and the crowds are moving pretty quick. And a couple hours later, they arrive, the first part uh, uh, arrive ahead of the actual boat. Now, how many of you are glad that God doesn't out all of our bad attitudes for the whole world to see? Because I happen to know that those disciples are not happy campers when they see, you know, all these people and all of their need. They were getting all excited about the s'mores and the campfire and the stories with Jesus alone. Finally, we have him alone with peace and quiet. And then they see the stampede. (laughs) Now, I wonder what was going through their minds and their hearts. They're all caps hungry. They're all caps depleted. And hopefully they had the good sense to not give voice to what they were thinking. Now, we imagine they're looking to Jesus for the cue. How are we going to deal with this, right? So as they're doing the rigging and pulling on cords and ropes and adjusting the rudder, they're laughing. They're looking at each other like, oh. And then they're like, look at him, look at him. And so all eyes are on him, which is when you run into a situation that you weren't expecting to turn out the way it's turned out and not to your liking, that's what you do because Jesus is on board. He's on board. So you look to, to him, how would he handle this? How is he thinking of this? And it's not very hard to see he's excited. He shakes his head and he's looking at that and going, wow, smiling like, wow. They're really eager, you know? They want more. He's bright-eyed. He's amazed. Uh, and he gets busy rewarding them for their 8K. You know, their 8K little jog, and that's exactly what 8K equals, all right? About five or six miles. So, listen, I have written down here to me, when your plans don't go your way, when you have to lay down what you wanted, what you expected, what you even thought God was asking to serve God in a different way and his interests and his people's interests ahead of your own, how is your attitude? Is it like Jesus? Or do you throw a party? And I know that when you throw a pity party, I know who you invite, your three besties. <laughs> Me, myself, and I. And you guys have a great time together. You know, I know because I've done that. You know, you could say, hey, listen, (laughs) I had all these plans. I thought it was going to go this way, but it didn't. Now what? Well, you look at Jesus. And what's he going to say? Well, we see Jesus. Listen, do you notice in verse 34 that it says, when Jesus landed, Jesus gets out of the boat, and Jesus begins teaching, where are the guys? They're in the boat somewhere, but they're not leading with a good attitude, a humble heart, open, hospitable. That's not, they're they're trying to fake it till they make it, right? They are looking at Christ and going, oh, yeah. Oh, hello, Mr. Goldstein. So (laughs) happy to see you. You know, looking at Jesus, because Jesus is all arms open, and Jesus is giving hugs and saying, man, I didn't know you guys could run so fast. (laughs) 
you know, Jesus is doing the, the thing out of a real loving heart. The boys are trying to follow through. You're like, yeah, Mr. Goldstein, what's new since the last two hours I saw you? <laughs> and if we're not careful, we'll get resentful. Oh, God, you know, God told me this is going to go this way. Because God did tell them that. They'd be right, finally, somebody who's right about it. And then it didn't go the way they thought it was going to go or that he said because he's got a test for them. And the test is, are you going to pass or fail? You're going to start pointing fingers? What did Judas, how did Judas handle the test? I'm going to make something up. This is how I think he handled the test. He said, son of God, Mr. Prophet, he doesn't even know what's going to happen two hours from now. He says, hey, let's go to a lonely place. He didn't know that there'd be thousands of people waiting for us. Huh. You know, some prophet he is. And that's how you get yourself at the end of the story, hanging from a tree. That's not good. It's not good. I didn't mean it to sound like funny. <laughs> But it's not good. And so he's saying to Judas, Judas, this is a test, buddy. This is a test. This is a test to see how you handle things when it doesn't go your way. Here's the test. The best laid plans of mice and men, even Christian men, often go awry. And then what? Do I have a good attitude? Do I serve anyway? Or to get my nose all out of joint and start spreading little rumors and, and dig my heels in the dirt. And, you know, I'm not going to cooperate because you said, listen, guess what? You were wrong. It turned out differently than you thought God was confirming. I have confirmations. Guess what? You have two choices. Either you're going to accuse God of ripping you off or acting in an unbecoming way? Or you misunderstood things? Hmm. I wonder which one would be more wise. <laughs> to blame God for being malevolent or to take responsibility of, oh, well, whoops, I missed that one. Let's get busy serving. Amen? Amen. You with me? Hello. All right, <laughs> Lauren, just checking. Jesus not faking anything. Guess what? Because wherever you slice Jesus, you come up with love. And what does love do? Love isn't rude. It's not easily anchored. It's always about the other person. Moses said, show me your glory. Who are you? And the Lord says, passes by in a vision, the Lord. He reveals himself. The Lord, the Lord, compassionate and merciful and abounding with love, slow to anger and showing forgiveness to thousands upon thousands. That's who God is. We dare not think this God is messing around with us. He doesn't mess around with us. We get things messed up in our heads, but we always come out, God, you're a good, good father. And when I see you face to face, I'll get it. But in the meantime, though you kill me, yet... Well, I trust you because that's what Job said. Though he slay me, guess what? I trust him. 
He knows what he's doing. He's good. Wow. And that's a message right here. And so the remedy for all of this is truth. So he gets out of the boat and look, it's not a healing crusade. I hate to let you down there, but it's a teaching, the gospel crusade. Then the miracles follow. That's how it goes. First things first is the eternal word of God, always. Then we leave signs and wonders to the discretion of the Holy Spirit to do as he pleases, amen? But we don't chase the signs and wonders and put them out in front. We chase the good news and the gospel. We put that up in front and, and let God do his work, amen? amen? So there he is, and he is doing his work. Well, it's getting late, and he has compassion, but tearing him up uh, because they seem like Shepherdless. They're wandering around. They have no direction. If you are not connected to the truth of the gospel, you don't know why you were born. You don't know what you're supposed to be doing, and you don't know where you're going. And this breaks God's heart. Spike Nizami, compassion is to tear the gut. So if he, one thing we know about God is that he gets heartbroken when people are wandering around, doing their own thing, lost. He wants to care for us. And so... The disciples come to him while he's doing his thing, teaching them and telling them uh, not to worry. God takes care of birds and he takes care of flowers. He's going to take care of you guys. He's doing that teaching. And the disciples enter the disciples. Uh, well, they're about to enter. <laughs> the sun is setting. It's getting late. And the disciples' tummies are all growling. And here it comes, verses 35 to 38. So by this time it's late, so the disciples come and their patients are wearing thin and you can tell it in their condescending remarks and attitudes. And so we're going to see how they need to inform their master and instruct their master. So let's take a look at this. So the big tests are here. They're, the test now in front of us is going to be attitude, character, and faith. And my friend, he's constantly poking around in all of our lives looking for those things. Constantly. Three things are important to God. Your attitude, because your whole life will spring from that. Your character, because you're supposed to adequately reflect the goodness of God, if you call yourself a Christian. And faith, because without faith, it's impossible to please God. So let's start with the attitude and the character. So the, the, the disciples are hangry. Have you ever heard of that? They're, they're hangry. All right. That, that means bad-tempered or irritable as a result of being hungry. They haven't eaten all day. They're really hungry, and they're disappointed. We were going on a retreat with Jesus, the Son of God, and now these guys are here. They've ruined everything. So he says this, and you know they're hangry because they're going to inform and instruct the Lord in a condescending way. Exhibit A, to inform. Now, Lord, we're, we're out in the sticks. We need to tell you because you might have lost your way. You know, all the hallelujahs, hallelujahs. You know, you, maybe you're just a little dizzy. We're just going to let you know there are two things you need to know. We're in the boondocks. We're miles and miles away from a farm stand. Okay, just so you know, Lord. All right? And secondly, let's add the pieces together, Lord. Uh, when you're really far from civilization and it's getting late, People are getting hungry. 
right? So we'll need to do something about that. We're going to have to, uh, it's getting late. And so some foresight, just some forethinking, Lord, night's coming. They're going to have to eat. So here's what we want you to do. And it's in command form. I don't know about you, but I, will, I learned the hard way. I was in, humiliated in Japan. I was at, leading a prayer meeting and I had a translator. And I was praying all these requests to God. But I wasn't making them requests. I was telling God what to do, right, as we often do. No pleases. No, if it's your will. None of that. This is what, here's your laundry list. Get busy, right, kind of thing. You know what I'm saying. The way I got called out was the pastor who was translating for me kept looking at me and saying, Lots of little things that I fully know what they mean, and I could do small talk. I could have been praying little prayers by then. But he was ribbing me in Japanese, saying to me, if it's your will, and Lord, we just humbly ask you all of this stuff and I was like oh I was so put in my arrogant place of just ordering God around I'm afraid we do a little bit of that so in command form they say you send them now away so that they can get food themselves it's their responsibility we're on retreat get the s'mores out right (laughs) You send them away, they say. Time to lock up the sanctuary. Flash the lights on and off. Time for you, <laughs> time for you guys to go home. Don't you know? Survivors on tonight. <laughs> just, just kidding. <laughs> or the presidential debates. That ought to clear it out. Yeah, those days are over, I know. <laughs> Praise the Lord. All right, moving on. So they can buy themselves. And Jesus, you can tell. He's not happy. You can tell just how quick they say, you send them away, you know, and then Jesus right back at them, no, you, in command form, you give them something to eat. And Matthew adds, they don't need to go away. He says, you feed them. Now, here's the test of faith. Mind you, they just told the Lord all the miraculous things that they've seen and experienced themselves. They've already, a year and a half of seeing dead people sit up and and like I said, fingers go back on lepers and all of this kind of thing. So, you know, he's just asking, could you just bring what you learn out there into your own personal need. You know, somehow it's, oh, it's always good out there or at church or on the mission field, but then when I'm at the office, you know, or whatever. And so here's the need, and here's what's the correct answer to you give them, you feed them. They look around, they know there's no bread, but they've also had a year of seeing miracles. So, so here's the right answer. The right answer is, okay, where's the bread? You're gonna make bread. Hey, you guys, we're going to get a miracle here. He's saying making bread. He's saying feed them. Right? So there, the right answer to this is, let's do this, God. We don't know how. How are you going to do it? We're here to serve. We'll get the baskets. Let's do it. Go for it. Ah, uh, did that happen? 
No. And let me tell you, you think I'm pressing it with the test? John's gospel, chapter six, fills us in. This is all amended and added to by John. And here's what John says. John singled out Philip in everybody's hearing, and he says to Philip, he says, I want you to feed everybody. And then he says to Philip, Philip, yes, sir, yes, Lord. Where do you think we could get food to feed everybody here? And John says, he did that to test him because he himself knew what he was about to do. So he says to Philip in front of everybody, after a year and a half of a lot of miracles, like miracles, where do you think in this new need that we could possibly ever come up with some food? Where do you think we could get that, Philip? And he asked that every day to us. Every single time there's a need, a challenge, something else, and everything flies out the window and Jesus says, hey, I wonder how we're going to get through this one. Hey, you know, knowing what you've been through, what you've learned, what you've experienced, what you know to be true about me, all my past faithfulness to you, every precious and great promise in the book, I'm just asking you a question. In this new thing that you just got revealed, like, whoa, wow, big need. I don't, I don't know how to go about it from here. He just asked you the question, gee whiz, John, Jane, I'm just wondering, how do you think this is going to work out? What do you think we should do? <laughs> and Philip fails. Jesus is there to catch him. So here's what, here's what it goes. Here's what it goes. Philip goes logical. He's going to muscle through this. He says, gears smoking, faith earthbound. He says, Lord, let me help you with the math. I minored in accounting. Phew. <laughs> 10,000 mouths to feed. Hmm. For each person to get a bite, John says that. He says, for each person to get a bite, it'll take 200, a calculator, 2,000 denarii, which equals eight months wages. Just so you know, Lord, I minored in economics too. Uh, And then the average American, to bring it up to speed, makes $50,000 a year. Eight months is 67% of your annual income at $33,500. Just for the bread for everyone to take one bite. And Jesus says, thank you for the math class. Um, (laughs) But I was interested in how maybe I might be involved in it standing in front of you saying, hey, have you thought about me and what I can do if I get my hands in there? No, he hadn't. So John tells us it's Andrew when he says, go out and get what you have and bring it to me. So Andrew's the one who finds the boy with the bread and the sardines. And just just so you know, are you picturing these big fat loaves of bread? Come on. It's a kid's lunch. They're little buns. And are you picturing one of those big, ginormous uh, fish that appear on the table at Chinese restaurants? No. <laughs> that was funny. Come on. <laughs> They're little twisted dried sardines this big. So he brings just a handful of bread and two sardines because Andrew's doing, he's doing a good job so far until he says, here's what we got. 
But how far is that going to go? That's what he says. The other gospels nail him. How far is this going to go, Lord? And Jesus said, dude, further than you think. You know, it can go when you bring something to me. What does that mean? Because we all want to do it now because it has big results, right? So every Christian in their right mind wants to bring their lunch to the Lord and see the needs met. All it means is this. Not complicated. One writer, oh, he had a great saying. He said, the secret of this miracle is open to all Christians. God is freest to move where he is freest to use everything we have and all that we are. A yielded life is a life of free flowing grace. Do you see? Not going to happen with you at the ranch. You controlling everything, little thing with the little calculator. Okay. Some of those things are necessary and practical and very good. But behind all that is a consecrated life and heart with an intention that everything I have, everything is a gift that you've given me. Everything I am, I exist because you created me. I'm yours 100%. This problem to you. How may I serve you and your interest in this problem? Oh, man, watch out. Things are going to start popping. It's just getting to that place of consecration is the big theological words for it. So what happens? Here it is. Let's finish up. 39 through 44. The big miracle. He starts giving orders. And when Jesus gives orders, man, it's a lot better when we do. I'll tell you that. And then he says something very interesting. And I bet 99.9 of you have missed one of the most beautiful parts of this miracle. He had all the people sit down on the green grass. Do you know where they are? They're in a desert area. You know what grows on the ground in the desert? Not a whole lot of anything. All right? There's certainly not thick, luscious, green grass. So, you know, when you first read it, it's like, why don't you just say they sat down on the grass? No, he wants you to know there was grass that was lush, verdant, healthy, green. Where are we again? In the wilderness, where serpents and rock and a few locusts and a tarantula go crawling. No beautiful lawn there. They're on a beautiful lawn. So, oh, the shepherd will lead God's people a prophecy and check out what 35, uh, Isaiah 35 says. Even when, about the Messianic age, even the wilderness, hello, that's where they are, and the desert will be glad in those days when Messiah is revealed. That's the context. The wasteland, hello, that's where they are, will rejoice and blossom with spring little wildflowers. Yes, there will be an abundance of flowers and singing and joy. The deserts will become as green as the mountains of Lebanon. There the Lord will display his glory. What's he doing out there? The splendor of our God. Isaiah says, when Messiah comes, just so you know, grass is going to grow. Flowers are going to bloom. Where? In the 
desert, the hot desert sand is going to bring forth life. And here he is. Every Jew there, every single one of them, was looking around them, sitting down, going, just picture going to the Mojave. Just picture going down to, to Palm Springs and find some place out there where there is just desert. And suddenly in the desert, you see a lush green lawn and there's no, there's none of that going on there. All right. So they're amazed to say, whoa, what's this? And then somebody, some godly older woman says, the scroll, the Isaiah scroll, the wilderness, the desert will spring forth with green grass. Come on. Wow. So we have the shepherd feeding God's people, caring for them with green grass. The desert is blossoming. And of course, he's the son of God. He created all things. Of course, under his feet, dead things become alive again. With Jesus nearby, rocks would cry out and sing for joy. In his presence, wastelands blossom. Bitter waters become sweet because he's not just some rabbi. He's God in a human body. And so as we finish up, we see God the Son. See if you get this, because it's the most amazing point is yet to come. You think the amazing point is little becomes much when we put it in the master's hands? No. That is a sub-lesson. The grandstand miracle, my friend, comes from John's clue that says in John chapter 6, his Following on the story, he adds this. He says, and by the way, they're seated on the green grass and it was Passover time. Whoa, Passover time with the Messiah coming, standing there holding bread and breaking it and giving thanks. What is he saying? He's saying not only is it messianic age time that the son of God has come down from heaven and standing there with bread, but he's telling you what he came to do. Not feed everybody's tummies, but save everybody's soul and satisfy them with himself. And then he will say the next day after this, the same crowds chase him down again and they want a repeat miracle. The same field. And he says this. Listen, you guys, you're chasing me for all the wrong reasons. John chapter 6. Then Jesus declares, I'm the, I am the bread of life. You're chasing <laughs> They're coming, hey, hey, give us the bread again. And he says, oh, no, 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 no. That was a sermon illustration, silly. It's not about what goes in and gone tomorrow. It's about what goes in and gives you eternal life. He says, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Very truly, I tell you, the one who believes in me will have eternal life. I'm the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But here's the bread that came down from heaven. Jesus did not have an earthly father. He came down from heaven. The Holy Spirit filled a human womb. He is the God-man. He says, I came down from heaven, and guess what? I'm like a piece of bread. If somebody eats that bread, 
you will not go to hell, you will live forever, and you'll never be searching for anything in life to fulfill you because you were created for me. I made you. But here, this is bread that came down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I'm the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. Has he made his point? <laughs> this bread is my body, which I give for the life of the world. So here's what he says. In order for you to know that my claims are good, don't believe me if I'm just making claims. Now I'm quoting John chapter 10. Listen to me. He says, if I can't do miracles to back up my claims, don't believe me. But he says, John chapter 10, if I can do what only God can do, then you'll have to accept and trust that I can follow through on my claims to keep you from dying and give you everlasting life. How does he prove it? He says, give me two sardines and five little pieces of bread and watch what I can do. Now, if I can take that and feed 10,000 people with 12 basketfuls of leftovers, they ate as much as they wanted and there was still more. That's the grace of God. He packs and packs and packs and packs until it's overflowing. He says, if I can do this miracle, then guess what? Taste and see that the Lord is good. The work that I do on the cross, if you ingest that into you like a meal and you get nourished on the word of God, the life of Christ, the work on the cross, you, my friend, are in pretty good shape. You'll never die. You will never die. Klaus Luth went home to be with the Lord. He is doing very well today. You know, it's so sad that he's gone from here. But trust me, Jesus said, eat of this bread, you'll live forever. And Klaus ate the bread. And Klaus lives today and speaks today. He's alive and well. And making us envious a little bit, a little bit. I mean, I mean that. You guys are worried about your PG&E bill and all of this other stuff and the air condition. Can we run it? How much is that costing us? It's going to be hot today. He's not worried about any of that. He's not worried about stomach problems. He's not worried about the next-door neighbor playing their music too loud. Well, Gabriel, maybe. I don't know. but This is what we do. Big need... Always. Big test, always. Big miracles. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this beautiful lesson <laughs> to see you <laughs> in all your glory and majesty there as a shepherd leading his people atop the green grass <laughs> in prophetic fulfillment. <laughs> Lord, <laughs> how better can it get and how much more clear can it be than you are the one. You are our Lord and Savior. And we yield what we have to you, our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. On the first day any of us came to know the Lord, we were invited to taste and see that the Lord is good, right? And we eat the bread, and it's like we get it. And then we forget, and we start eating other stuff. And sheep can't live like that. Sheep can't eat bologna sandwich, you know? <laughs> I mean, we can. It's pretty good, but you know what I'm saying.
We eat other stuff. We go to other wells instead of freshwater wells. And he said, listen, the same bread that saved you to begin with is the bread that nourishes you and brings you what you need today. So if you're feeling numb or you're going through the motions or something's not quite right, the bread is available, the same bread. And it falls fresh every morning. Come on. You need to set your alarm a little bit earlier. Just open up the bread book right there. All the loaves are right there. Just take a few nibbles. And that bread will go a long way. Drink of the cup. Drink of his presence. You'll be revived. You'll be feeling better. And you'll be seeing big miracles. Let's pray. Father, for all of us, we need to have that blessing. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for being right with God because they shall be full. Put that hunger in our hearts. Guide us to the right troughs and wells of the Bible and worship and serving and Christian fellowship and obedience and prayer and all those lovely things. We'll give you all the praise and the glory in Christ's name. Amen. You have been listening to The Rock Podcast. Our regular services are held on Wednesday nights at 6.30 and Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at calvarytherock.org.